0: Welcome back to Soul of a Warrior. Today's topic is a cultural history of holes. That's right. The history of body piercing. The history of piercing goes back at least as far as the oldest human mummy. And has taken many odd but often beautiful turns along the way. Chances are, even if you don't have a single piercing on your body, you know someone who does. It's a common beauty technique and even a form of self-expression, but where did it come from? Who first decided to start poking holes in their bodies? And why did they do it? Let's begin 5,000 years ago with the oldest mummified person found to date and see what he and his descendants can tell us. When the body of Otzi, The oldest mummy ever found was discovered by two tourists in 1991 on the border between Austria and Italy. He was found to have pierced ears. The holes gauged 7 to 11 millimeters in diameter. It is believed that Otzi lived around 3000 BC. So it's clear that ear piercing has been a relatively constant and important part of our culture almost since the dawn of humanity. Traveling forward nearly 2,000 years to the age of King Tut, the trend was still going strong. With the boy king, whose reign lasted from 1332 to 1323 BC, also displaying evidence of wearing earrings alongside many other ancient Egyptians. Heading another 1,300 years into the future and a little further west, earrings continued to reign as a largely male style accessory in ancient Rome, with Julius Caesar himself bringing them into fashion during his reign from 49 to 44 BC. And during the Elizabethan era of late 16th century Britain, any man of nobility had at least one ear piercing to show off his wealth It wasn't just the rich and the powerful who pierced their ears either. And it wasn't always purely decorative. Sailors from many different eras would often pierce their ears knowing that if they were to die at sea, the earring recovered from their body could pay for the funeral. Despite the way earrings would be flaunted across the centuries in practice began in primitive tribes for superstitious reasons, People believed that demons could enter the body through the ears, but that they were repelled by metal. Thus, earrings were a protection against possession. Nose piercings. The first recorded mention of nose rings is in Genesis twenty-four twenty-two, when Abraham decides to find a wife for his son Isaac. He chooses Rebekah and gives her a gold nose ring to seal the deal. According to The Naked Woman, a study of the female body by Desmond Morris, it is still a common practice among the Berber and Bedouin peoples of North Africa in the Middle East, where the husband gives his bride a gold nose ring when they are married. The size of the ring indicates the wealth of the family, and if a divorce occurs later, the rejected wife can use the gold in her nose to provide for her Uh, excuse me, to provide her with financial security. Mughal emperors brought the practice to India in the 16th century. A stud or ring is often worn in the left nostril by women as the left side is associated with female reproductive organs. The piercing is supposed to lessen the pain of birth and menstruation. Nose piercings didn't reach the West until the 1960s and 1970s, when hippies started traveling to India and were taken up by the punk movement in the 70s as a sign of nonconformity. Septum piercings. So septum piercings are quite common among tribal peoples, often used to make warrior men look fierce. The Azmat tribe in Iran, Jaya, Indonesia, will stretch these piercings to as much as 25 millimeters in diameter, allowing for the leg bone of a pig or the femur of a killed enemy to be placed within it. The Aztecs, Mayans, and Incas pierce their septums with gold and jade to symbolize the water and sun gods, a practice still kept up by the modern day Kuna Indians in Panama. In India, Nepal, and Tibet, an amulet called a bulak is attached to the piercing, often so big that it has to be lifted so that the person with the piercing can eat. It is believed that piercing the nose prevents infection, though the bulak itself seems to be purely ornamental. And the bigger, the better. Among the Aborigines in Australia, piercing is used to flatten the nose and therefore make it more beautiful. Tongue Piercings Between the 14th and 16th centuries, tongue piercings originated as a ritual among the Aztecs and Mayans as a form of blood sacrifice. They would often pass a thread through the piercing to enhance the flow of blood. Priests and shamans in these cultures would also pierce their tongues to create an altered state of consciousness so they could communicate with the gods. 20th century carnies learned, that, learned about tongue piercings from religious ascetics and would perform them, them as a sideshow attraction. Its resurgence came in the 1980s when the opening of Gauntlet in L.A., the first professional piercing shop in the U.S., Elaine Angel, who founded Gauntlet, is often credited with promoting the piercing, both for shock value and for the enhancement of oral sex. Lip piercings. Lip piercings are most common in tribal cultures. The only two tribes in Africa, the Dogon and Nuba, use rings. Most use labyrinths, which are bars with balls attached at either end or plates. The Dogons pierce their lips to represent the creation of the world. In their mythology, the goddess Noomi wove thread through her teeth, but when it came out, the thread was transformed into speech. In other cultures, lip piercings are a marriage ritual. Makalolo tribal women wear plates in their upper lip to make themselves more beautiful. They're often inserted by a woman's husband-to-be as a betrothal right six months before marriage, and the size of the plate correlates to her dowry. Naval Piercings In ancient Egypt, this piercing was a sign of royal status. Only the pharaoh was allowed to have his navel pierced, and anyone else found with with this piercing would be executed. Millennia later, when bikinis came into fashion, the navel was at first considered scandalous because, believe it or not, of its similarity to the vagina. The piercing and showing off of the belly button remained fairly taboo, at least up until the early 90s, when Christy Turlington sported one in a London fashion show in 1993. Naomi Campbell and Madonna quickly followed suit, and soon the navel piercing became one of the more popular fads of the era. Nipple piercings. In ancient Rome, men pierced their nipples to symbolize virility and their camaraderie with other men. If you're wondering what virility is, the definition of virility is, in a man, uh, the quality of having strength, energy, and a strong sex drive, manliness, or masculinity. Only later did it become a woman's practice. In the mid-14th century, Queen Isabella of France introduced garments of the grand neckline. Dresses with such low neckline, sometimes to the navel, that the nipples were often openly displayed as such nipple piercings became a form of jewelry to match the dress. It's very interesting. Very interesting. I did not realize that. There's literally um a photo here, and if you can look, if you're curious. You'll have to look up, um, photos of garments of the grand neckline and it's literally like old time dresses, like Cinderella dresses, except the whole front is open and they have sleeves, but the cut, instead of just being like a V line, V neckline, the V comes all the way past the belly button and their boobs are just out. So that's, um, that's really interesting. I did not realize that that was a thing. In the nineteen excuse me, in the eighteen nineties, the bosom ring came back into vogue. These often expensive rings enlarged the nipples and caused them to be easily pleasured, which brought much excitement to high class women. According to one socialite of the time, with regard to the experience of wearing these rings, I can only say that they're not in the least uncomfortable or painful. On the contrary, the slight rubbing and slipping of the rings causes in me an extremely titillating feeling and all my colleagues I've spoken to on this subject have confirmed my opinion. Meanwhile, in Victorian England, doctors would recommend nipple piercings to enhance the size of the nipples and make breastfeeding easier. Last but not least, genital piercings. The beginnings of cl- cl- excuse me the beginnings of clitoral piercings are generally unknown but the history of male genital piercings is well documented. In ancient Greece, foreskin piercings would be tied with a thong to the base of the penis to keep the genitals out of the way during sport and combat. It was also used to keep slaves from having sex in both Greece and Rome. Apodravia piercings are mentioned in the Kama Sutra and date back to 700 AD, while the paling, a piercing made across the surface of the glands has been practiced in southeast asia for hundreds of years in borneo the paling sim- symbolizes the protective power of a man over his family but both piercings are used for sexual pleasure i'm gonna have to look that up the last let's see so we have a padravya padravya a and a paling So, paling piercing. Okay, so it can be made through the urethra or above it or below it. That's where it's pierced. So, the paling or impaling is a male genital piercing that penetrates horizontally through the entire... Glands of the penis. Ouch. And then the apodravia. Okay. And then the upper. The apadravya, like the impaling, is a piercing that passes through the glands, while the impaling passes horizontally through the glands. The apadravya passes vertically through the glands from top to bottom, almost always placed centrally and passing through the urethra. It can be paired... Hold on a second. It can be paired with an ampeling to form the magic cross. Off-center operavias are also possible, wherein the piercing is deliberately offset, yet usually still passes through the urethra. The piercing is often done on a slightly forward angle to the hips. Oh my gosh! What?! Um, so according to the Kama Sutra so for prosthesis to increase the size of penis during intercourse primarily to satisfy woman um, classified as hastini interesting yeah that that looks painful. Ugh. That looks extremely painful. Um, the Gooch piercing originated in Polynesia and was typically done by a mehu, mehu or a well respected man who dressed as a woman. After the piercing healed, a shell or rock would be hung from it. The Prince Albert piercing was supposedly named for Queen Victoria's husband. The popular legend claims that he had had it done before their marriage in 1825 apparently in order to conceal the unsightly bulge in his fashionable fashionably tight trousers the myth further states that the piercing attached to a hook on the inside of his pants none of this has been found to be true of course and most of it stems from a fanciful history concocted by the piercings real inventor jim ward often described as the granddaddy of the modern body piercing movement and his friend Doug Malloy in the early 1970s. Today, genital piercing mostly relates directly to sexual culture, especially in the West. So that is it. That's kind of a short episode today, but I just was really curious about the history of piercings. And I'm now... I would like to kind of get into gauges and why, like, tribes... I'm going to look it up right now. Why tribes gauge their ears and what what it means. Um... And even, I know, in certain tribes... They wore jewelry around their neck and extend their, elongate their neck or extend it up. Um, Here it is. The Mercy is an Ethiopian tribe where the women are obliged to wear plates in their gauged ears and on their bottom lip. About a year prior to her marriage or at about 15 years of age, a Mercy girl's lip will be pierced by her mother in a wooden peg pushed through the incision. Once healed, the peg is changed for a larger diameter one. Okay, so this is a little bit of history of ear gauging in tribal civilizations. So I just kind of give you a little excerpt. Once healed the peg is changed for a larger diameter one eventually the peg is replaced by a plate or clay or wood plate of clay or wood and this plate is successively changed for larger diameter ones until the required diameter is attained from around 8 to 22 centimeters in diameter so that's about 3 to 9 inches Once these plates have been secured she receives a higher degree of respect than those without them and is known as a Bansanai. These lip and ear plates need not be worn permanently but are an expected adornment during special occasions such as during weddings and other celebrations and when they serve food to men. Today young women are, can generally make their own decision as to whether or not they follow this tradition. So study of the history of ear gauging indicates the practice to be as old as recorded human history. For males, this form of ear piercing has been a symbol of status, while for women, in addition to being used as means of bodily decoration, it has also been employed to signify the attainment of womanhood. Ear gauging, which is also referred to as ear stretching, is the stretching of ear lobe piercings to larger diameters than that of the original piercing is a form of body enhancement or beautification that many young western people adopt to look different from the usual crowd however this is not a modern form of body piercing since it has been around for as long as archaeological records exist in many cases ear gauging has been used historically to indicate the standing of members of a specific tribe and in many respects this is still the situation today Stretched piercings have been and still are a reflection on the individual's sexual capability and also their superiority over other males in the tribe. The larger the stretching, the more important the individual. Otzi, which I, I um, spoke about previously, w- the Iceman is a prime example of mummies known to have stretched ears. This is the earliest known example of, our, of ear gauging. It has been suggested that the stretching of the ears noted in depictions of Siddhartha Gautama, better known as Buddha, may have been caused by the weight of the gold jewelry he wore, but this is mere supposition. It is supported, however, by the fact that the Masi tribe of Kenya and the Lao and Karen Karanpariang people of Thailand use this gravity technique to stretch their piercings, let us have a look at the ear gauging practices used today by various cultures. I probably just butchered all of those names, but I'm trying my best here, so <laughs> bear with me. The Maasai people of Kenya, the practice of ear gauging has been common among the Maasai men and women for thousands of years. In recent years, however, most young men have not been following this custom Although you will still find many Maasai women wearing ear decorations made from stones, cross-cut elephant tusks, wood, and animal bones. The original piercing is carried out using a thorn sharpened twig or sharp knife point. Once healed, ear gauging is then carried out by wearing increasingly heavy jewelry that pulls the lobe down and stretches the piercing. This is a traditional way of gauging the ears in more primitive cultures. Although many Maasai today will use proper ear gauging techniques such as their own versions of insertion tapers or taper spikes, beads are a common form of ornamentation, although plugs made from bone, tusks, and water are also used. So the African Fulani tribe, the Fulani women from Nigeria and Central Africa Tend to use smaller diameter ear gauges and decorate them using large gold domes or hoops carrying earrings. A Fulani child will have his, will have her ears pierced at, at around three years old, although they may not be stretched until she is older. The gauges used by Fulani women are relatively small compared to the Masai in Mercy, all, although the jewelry can be larger. Um, Asian hill tribes. Of the various hill tribes, the only two known to practice ear gauging are the Lao from Thailand and the Karen Paduang long necks from Myanmar, Burma, and also the Frey province in Thailand. That latter tribe are best known for their long, for their neck rings, offering the appearance of long necks. But both cultures believe the ear to be sacred. And the more jewelry they can wear on the wear on the better by gauging their ears they are able to wear the maximum amount of jewelry they believe possible and then the last excerpt is mexican and central american civilizations in mayan and aztec society ear gauging was regarded as desirable for males there are many mayan representations of men with flares and earplugs or ear spools Engaged ears, and the material used was indicative, or in indicative of the social standing of the wearer. Jade earplugs uh, were worn by the higher classes, while the rest used bone, stone, wood, and other materials. In Central Mexico, the craftsmanship of the Aztecs is evident in the ear gauging plugs and ornaments of gold and silver. Through the lower classes would adorn their stretches would adorn their stretches, earlobes, with shells, copper, and wood, among many other imaginative materials. Ear gauging has been carried out worldwide, and among other notable areas involved in this practice are Japan, where the Enu used ear jewelry made from shells, bone, and a ball and ring known as ninkari. There are many other cultures worldwide where ear gauging was a part of their life, and even today many people regard ear stretching as a fashion statement a way of expressing their own personality and individuality so that i think that covers it <laughs> i think that covers ear gauging and ear piercing that was just a topic that i was really curious about and um i was just curious when when nipple piercings became a thing in, in history and and I thought that was worth looking up and I, I just learned a lot about all the piercings um, top to bottom. So that was, that was pretty interesting. I hope you enjoy the topic and thank you for listening.